people are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, are Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another Kind of Mind. A different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. I was always frightened of classical music and I never wanted to listen to it because it was Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and some big words like that, Schoenberg. I mean, something like a taxi driver the other day said, had some sheet music of a Mozart thing. And I said, what's that, you know? And he said, oh, <laughs> I said, oh that's the eyeglass stuff. You won't like that. He said, no, no, you won't like that. And I said, well, what is it, you know? He said, oh, no, you won't like it. You know, it's high class, that. It's very high class, highbrow. And, uh, that kind of way, I always used to think of it. I used to think, well, you know, that is, that's very clever, all that stuff. And it isn't, you know, it's just exactly what's going on in pop at the moment. Pop music is the classical music of now. Welcome to Another Kind of Mind. Today we are so happy to present McCartney and Mozart with our special guest, Valerie Ng. Hi. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Hello. I host a daily classical music public radio program that airs in about 20 counties throughout Southern Oregon and Northern California, and we are uh -huh. also streaming it on the web. So nice. it goes worldwide. We've got, we've got members globally. <laughs> I'm still oh. waiting though for a member, like a member from the International Space Station. That hasn't happened. <laughs> oh well fingers crossed right this is the opportunity of a lifetime here right <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna make it happen for sure <laughs> oh she was on acom well <laughs> valerie is the current host of siskiyou music hall on jefferson public radio and a longtime veteran of the airwaves valerie thank you so much for being with us today my pleasure. I'm so, I'm so excited. Yay. Oh, us too. Very excited. Very excited. We've been we've been periodically just texting each other like I'm so excited for Valerie. Me too. <laughs> I'm so excited for Valerie. Yeah. No lie, and I'm so glad you said yes. Oh yeah, I would I would not give up the opportunity to wax on about this stuff. Yay! Great, excellent. <laughs> Valerie wrote a column for a NorCal news magazine comparing mm -hmm. Mozart and McCartney, complete with a playlist, which mm -hmm. I was so excited to find. Both of them are brilliant. I will link them in the show notes for those who are interested. This is a subject I've been interested in and an episode I've wanted to hear for a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> Yes, I definitely have kind of scoured 
back episodes of podcasts that I love looking for for something like this, but have never found it. So I'm thrilled to be able to make it with, of course, the guidance of Valerie. Valerie, thank you for lending your musical expertise to us today and making this possible. Oh, I hope I don't let you down. (laughs) (laughs) Impossible. I'm I'm absolutely sure you will not. (laughs) Oh, well, I know. I think it's all about opinion, too. It's not necessarily about, you know, expertise. It's, It's more of an opinion. This is true. However, the way that I would put it is... So I've often heard and read Paul McCartney referred to as a modern day Mozart or a 20th century Mozart. Mm -hmm. And even though this comparison makes sense to me intuitively, I'm not able to articulate the hows and whys very well, mainly Mm -hmm. because I'm not a musicologist. I don't know a great deal about classical music and I'm just not trained to do that kind of comparative analysis of music. Um, And also because I just don't know a ton about Mozart other than what's, you know, in the sort of common public consciousness. Or what we saw in Amadeus. Or exactly. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, honestly, I think that's, that was my first real introduction to Mozart was Tom Hulse, you know. Same. (laughs) In a wig. That actually is one of my favorite films. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, it's excellent. Yeah. Even though it's <laughs> historically very, it takes a lot of liberties. Totally. But I mean, no arguing with that soundtrack. <laughs> so I had that soundtrack when I was in junior high or the beginning of high school. Like most people, I just thought, oh my God, this music is amazing. And it was one of the only pieces of classical music that I listened to regularly as a teenager you know again it was aided by the movie but Mm -hmm. I instantly found all the music in that film very accessible very enjoyable yeah you don't need to have any kind of trained background in music classical or otherwise to enjoy Mozart he's universally it's just beauty I think that's the key thing that Mm -hmm. actually when you're comparing Paul McCartney to Mozart is that both of them write music that is so accessible to everybody and I think that's one of the biggest things that makes them so similar to me you don't have to be it's a it's about how the music makes you feel Yes. It's about what kind of emotions are stirred and how your soul is touched by music. And for me, that has always been what's important. I'm not a trained musicologist either. And in fact, my first deep confession of the day is that I was kicked out of my music history class in college. <sighs> what did you do to earn such <laughs> punishment? I love I mean, it. You're a rebel. I, I, was, a t- I was always a teenage <laughs> rebel. I was in a punk band in high school. In fact, I played the Hofner bass. Rad. What? That was, that was my <laughs> instrument awesome. um, in a punk band. And when I knew I wanted to be in radio. And the program director at the very same radio station I currently work at, but way back in the 80s, uh (laughs) said that i needed to take this music history class but it was 
not what I thought it was going to be. I don't think it was what he thought it was going to be either. And I had a difficult time showing up because it was a, the first class of the day. It was kind of early. Oh, yeah. And so I would show up, but I would be late. And the teacher finally said one day, you know, clearly you're not serious about music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Those and early morning classes are hard. So she was an organist, need I say more? And she, um, <laughs> she said, I'm kicking you up. I'm getting you out of here. And it's funny because I'm sure she listens today to um, the radio station I work at. And I wonder ah. if she realizes, oh, that's the kid I kicked out of my class. Oh, I hope that's so. Brilliant. That'd, be, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> but um, so for me, you know, where I come from is from a music fan. I love all kinds of music, every kind of music, every genre of music. I can find something that I love. And the way that I feel when I listen to Mozart's music, mm. he stirs up the same kind of emotions that Paul McCartney's music stirs up in mm. me. Like he mm. can touch my soul with the simplest melodies. And who am I yeah. talking about? Either one of them. Mm. Yeah. Both of them do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love, I love that about them, and I love that about artists in general. I, I don't have a lot of patience for artists who aren't doing at least half the work. I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, if you mm -hmm. want to be obscure and complicated and make challenging art, I'm fine with that as long as there's something about it that is immediately, yeah. and I'm talking oh, about any kind, any kind of art, yeah. yes, yeah. that reaches out to the listener or the viewer or whatever, you know, whatever kind of art it is and right. invites them in and touches them in some way and encourages them to then invest maybe more time in analyzing, you know, the hows right. and whys of that. I Art agree that, 100%. That is... That's uh, where programming, you know, a radio show, trying to make sure that you don't leave things out that somebody might find a redeeming quality in, but mm -hmm. making sure you're not playing stuff that's so weird and esoteric that people turn off their radio. Yeah. But, you know, I try to give I try to give everything a chance, but I definitely have a l big list of music I stay away from mm -hmm. because I can't listen to it. But I, I, and I have to say, I have there's music that Paul McCartney's written that I, you know, it's not in my playlist. Yeah, Let's of see. course. But but so much of what he did is so good. And he was so prolific that there's I mean, when I when I wrote the column, the Mozart versus McCartney column, that was eight years ago. And by that time, Paul McCartney had written something like 500 and some odd pieces of music. I'll bet you he has already you know, that was eight years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. I bet he has already surpassed what Mozart wrote. Of course, Mozart died at 36. Paul is, you know, 80. Yes. yes so. Right. So I bet. Yes, but eight years, eight, eight years for Paul McCartney is a lifetime for most people. Right. <laughs> Music wise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So if I can find, you know, a hundred or 200 pieces of music that he has written that I just think are gorgeous. Um, that's, that's saying something. Absolutely. Yes. I don't understand the argument that if an artist produces work that you dislike or that you think is, you know, subpar, even if you're right about that, that doesn't, how does that negate their stellar stuff? Oh, it doesn't. And it, it doesn't. doesn't. I mean, for example, you know, when Paul McCartney, when I heard that he recorded something with Kanye, I was like, oh, really? Okay. I can't, no, I just can't listen to that song. And uh -huh. I have listened to that song because there's other people playing on that song too that I do mm -hmm. respect. But 
a bad moment is just that. I've written some stinker columns, I'm sure, and I've had some radio programs <laughs> that were bad. I hope people don't turn me off forever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and everything can't be to everybody's taste. I mean, that's just impossible to right. know, paraphrase Mr. Lincoln. You can't <laughs> please all the people all the time. <laughs> was that Lincoln or was it Twi- I was Mark gonna say, Twain? Was that, was that <laughs> P.T. Barnum? Was that who was that? I don't know. Some old guy. <laughs> to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, and P.T. Barnum. <laughs> can't win them all. All right, so Valerie, I'd like to get your opinion. Like I said, I've heard this comparison made many times uh, between Mozart and McCartney. And I would like to know, do you think that this is just a shorthand for, like Mozart has just become a shorthand for popular composer or exemplary composer, the way Einstein is just shorthand for smart now? Right, right. Right. Or do you think, you know, a real analogy is being made? Well, I don't know why anybody else comes to that idea, but I can tell you for me what it is. I I think, and I came to it the opposite way that probably a lot of people do, because I loved McCartney growing up as a kid, Um, you know, Beatles, Wings. I I loved everything he was doing, but um, I was thinking about how Mozart was a rock star of his day. Mm. Like mm-hmm. in the 18th century, he was a rock star. They didn't have rock stars then. That just wasn't the way people <sighs> yeah. did it. You uh-huh. know, it, it, Franz Liszt was really the first, like, if you want to call it like a, the guy who people were, you know, throwing their panties at. Um, wow. And, and he <laughs> Learning was the first, today. like... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was the guy that, you know, where where when he would perform, if he if he was smoking a cigar and toss it out into the gutter, a woman would run out and grab it and save it. And wow. You know, Fun. And uh-huh. yeah. Um, but I mean, he was the first who had like rabid fans as a as a musician in that way. But if you want to look at the equivalent of Paul McCartney. Mozart was it to me because he was the first real equivalent of someone who was an extremely prolific composer, a child genius. He uh, traveled around and met all of the other musical luminary figures Mm. of the day, courtesy of his dad, um, and then was celebrated. I mean, he was just brilliant. Everything he wrote was amazing and people gobbled it up. Although it wasn't like he was making a ton of money yeah. doing it. He really wasn't. Um, in fact, their their families, their family really struggled a lot financially over their years because people wanted to own him hmm. because people wanted to experience his genius and get his music, but they also wanted to tell him what to do. And he didn't like that. He didn't want to be told what to do. He wanted to fly. He wanted to be free. He wanted to be able to write the music that inspired him, that he was moved to make. And um, and so it took him a long time to really struggle to get to the top. But he really was there uh, at the time of his passing. He just It's just tragic that he died so early because he was just starting to really, really make it. 
But if he'd gone on, he would have made so much more brilliant music, I think, because he was just full of song. He was full of melodies. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and he was so adventurous. He wrote in so many different genres, so many different kinds of music, starting from the age of like five. Yeah. Working his way up, you know, writing 41 symphonies and oratorios and operas and uh, all kinds all kinds of different music, really reaching to get out of the box. Mm. And um, so for me, if that sounds familiar to you, Mm-hmm. knowing as much as you do about Paul McCartney they were both the same thing Paul McCartney was a child genius mm-hmm. uh, one of the few kids in his school that could pass the test to go to you know a more advanced school yeah. right um, learned a lot of different languages when he was a kid as did Mozart you know he wrote in so many different languages Mm-hmm. Both of them studying Latin when they were little kids and could actually talk, you know, speak in Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them wanting to experiment with new forms of music. Yeah. And in fact, and, and both of them were, were really revolutionizing music. They wanted to go beyond the boundaries of what other people were doing. Yeah. There's a point that you made in there, and we can circle back to this to this mm-hmm. later the fact that Paul McCartney and Mozart were, like you said, full, full of music, full oh, of yeah. melody, constantly outputting. And specifically, their output was not diminished by hardships in their life. Like it didn't, it didn't matter what was going on in their lives. They were writing. Do you think this, this question will not sound loaded? at all or like I'm leading you to a certain answer at all I'm sure do you think that those qualities are the mark of a diligent craftsman or do you think they are the mark of an inspired creative whirlwind who cannot help but process and express themselves constantly through art because they are inspired artists exactly I I do believe that is it exactly i don't think that they were like i am a craftsman i am going to sit down and put this here and that there and put all the pieces together like it's a mathematical equation yeah yes i think that they um were both very inspired by everything they were exposed to and everything that they heard i mean you know mozart another similarity between mozart and mccartney is that they both loved animals and mm, really oh yeah i mean you know paul mccartney had a farm sure later, yeah later yeah, on. yeah 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 and <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and mozart had well he had a horse he had a dog but he had birds he loved birds oh really kidding and no birds <laughs> birds sing and he had a pet bird yeah. he loved his birds so much that when his bird died he had a funeral for it oh my oh, god my that's the most paul mccartney thing i've ever heard totally yeah he is also bird fixated yeah right so you know you look there's bird song in some of paul mccartney's music a blackbird you know is the one that comes to mind but paul mccartney wrote bird song into his music as well yeah absolutely in fact if you the seven his 17th piano concerto the last movement is the him using the bird song of of his starling in 
that piece of music. It's pretty oh. well known. When um, he when he bought his bird, he wrote down the bird's song and he transcribed it into music. Wow. Yeah. I'm very well versed in Paul's bird obsession. He was very fixated on birds. In fact, he tells a story of his youth where he, he had a book on birds and he used to go out and bird watch when he was a mm -hmm. child. Yeah. It's a totally normal habit <laughs> for a young working old. class lad of eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else they both did? Um, speaking of animals, uh, lambs to be specific, both of them also wrote variations on nursery rhymes in their mm -hmm. music. And this was in their 20s. This is not when they were kids. This is when they were 20 in their 20s and had kids themselves. Yeah. Um, Mo Mozart wrote a set of variations on Avidira um, Jemaman, which, uh, which is we know as Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or yeah. the alphabet song or Baba black sheep right it's mm -hmm. the same tune for all of them. and yeah right. and um and mccartney it was really hard for me to find recordings of it for a really long time but um he did a set of kind of a variations on mary had a little lamb mm -hmm. which i just love i love that they're not too full of them they were never too full of themselves as musicians <laughs> to not still have fun with nursery rhymes yes I don't know, maybe the fact that nursery rhymes are passed through the age, you know, hundreds of years, maybe that means that there's something about them that speaks to the human experience. Well, yeah, and a lot of humans yeah, are you know. children. Right! <laughs> and not, not all children make it to adulthood. I mean, everybody's a child, though. Yeah, that's true. And, they, and well, I think that um, even more than that, it talks about their willingness and their interest in connecting with children through music both of them i'm sure i mean i'm thinking that might be why mozart wrote that set of uh variations although that song wasn't all that old at the time i mean because the song you know he was born in 1756 and that song i think was also came about in mm. the 17 in the early 1700s so it was like you know but well, i think both of them grew up on you know music from a bit of an earlier era and, and... sure yeah well that's that's interesting then because mozart picked a winner right you know like <laughs> he did for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he did he that and he's like people are still going to be humming this in 300 years it's and so, he like... and he's right and <laughs> he's I think, right yeah, look at how long ago paul mccartney wrote some of his music that is still yep being sung and recorded by other artists we're still i mean i find myself humming mccartney tunes all the time yeah so, absolutely yeah. they're very very durable i think durability yeah. is a, another quality that they share yeah mm -hmm. in addition to accessibility memorability you know earwormishness right <laughs> oh yeah Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing it's like i feel like if it, if a if a melody sticks in paul mccartney's head I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and same thing with Mozart. I mean, he would just create these little melodies. If you just listen, you know, you could pretty much just kind of pick out any piano sonata he wrote. And there's these catchy, catchy, Oops. yes, just little snippets of music that they start as little snippets and then they work into something bigger. But 
but um, they both just yeah. had that amazing ability. Yeah. Or in, in Paul's case and, and maybe Mozart's case, you can, you can tell us um, sometimes he'll throw a hook in there and then immediately abandon it. It's just, <laughs> he just tosses, he's got like four <laughs> different hooks yeah. in a single song that for other artists, like that would be, that would be one song. They would hinge an entire song on one, you know, one of those catchy elements and he just tosses them off and, and it just enriches his music so, so much. Well, he has a glut of them. He's, exactly. he's like, I have like, 10 good too many. I'm just going to use well, my four yeah. best ones in this song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I can, I can afford to throw these away. Exactly. Yep. yep. Yes. Yep. yep. No, they were both really rich in that for sure. I keep talking about McCartney in the past tense. I have to stop doing that, but... <laughs> He's alive. He's alive. <laughs> He's still writing. He is. He's doing a great job, too. My favorite song right now, my very, very, very favorite song in the whole world for the last <laughs> year or so has been um, The Kiss of Venus. Oh, nice. Yeah. But sung by Dominic Fike. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, when I heard that song for the first time, I didn't know what I was listening to. I didn't know that it was McCartney. Mm-hmm. I just heard this song. I didn't even know that it was Dominic Fike. I was just, it came across, you know, my Spotify and a, you know, another playlist. And I'm just listening to, to it going, wow, this, this song sounds really good. That It reminds me of somebody. <laughs> Remind me of, and then I'm like listening to the background. I'm going, that sounds like Paul McCartney singing mm-hmm. because he's, you know, doing the harmony. And I realized that that's what I was listening to. I'd never even heard the original Kiss of Venus. So I, yeah, I've listened to both albums. I, I have more of a difficult time listening to Paul sing these days, although mm-hmm. he sure. does a good job on Kiss of Venus. He does a really great job on that. Um, he can do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's he's just creating music in whatever form he's creating it. He's writing it. He's singing it. He's playing it. He's conducting it. He's arranging it. Yeah. Um, and he does all those things really brilliantly. Phoebe found this great quote from, of all places, Encyclopedia Britannica about Mozart, <laughs> uh, which says, Unlike any other composer in musical history, Mozart wrote in all the musical genres of his day and excelled in every one. Mm-hmm. His taste, his command of form, and his range of expression have made him seem the most universal of all composers. Yet, it may also be said that his music was written to accommodate the specific tastes of particular audiences. Well, okay. I, I agree with everything except for maybe the very last phrase mm-hmm. in that in that paragraph. I. I mean, of course, he was having to write in order to make money. He had to write music that would appeal to the people who were paying him. Yeah, of course. Well, sure. And if he's if he's writing universally, that means that he's writing to the current people around him. Right. Who are part of, of the universe. Course. Yeah. So, of course, I mean, that goes, you know, that is totally understood. But also, he was writing music that pleased him as sure. well. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I agree with with almost all of that. And I think that's another similarity between the two of them, because they don't just write uh, one dimensionally. They both have attacked all of the different 
ways one could experience music, whether you're talking about solo pieces for piano or, or guitar or in Mozart's, you know, there was, of course, no electric guitar back then and not even really, the guitar wasn't something that he had as much access to, but the piano was just being developed. Mm-hmm. It was still just being developed. It wasn't called a piano because it wasn't the piano that we know today but um but he was writing for um solo works they both wrote chamber works they both wrote ballets they both wrote oratorios they both wrote for large orchestral works so they both choirs yeah yeah they both wrote in in, have written in these huge for the in, in in a vast array of genres pretty much everything but screamo (laughs) (laughs) so here's here's another not leading at all question Um, (laughs) do you think that that is a sign of a whorish insincerity and desire to (laughs) to just jump on whatever uh sounds cool for the day or do you think that that's the mark of someone who is just ravenously curious because again they are an artist, a curious, inspired, prolific artist. Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you that for sure Mozart was a ravenously curious person. That mm-hmm. he always wanted to go beyond. He always wanted more. Um, you know, he his his dad was a a teacher, a music teacher. Mm-hmm. A pedagogue, if you will, <laughs> um, and a, a musician and composer himself. In fact, some people think that maybe some of Mozart's earliest compositions were really the work of his dad because people hmm. just cannot believe that this mm-hmm. little kid was so advanced. But he watched everything, you know, little ki- toddlers just are soaking up yeah. everything, everything yeah. around them. And and then trying to repeat it. It's how we learn how to speak the language yes. of whatever family we were brought up in. You you hear other people doing it and you assimilate it and you start putting it back out mm-hmm. there. And pretty soon you're an expert by the time you're three or four, you know? And the same yeah. thing with Mozart. He just, he was so curious that he, that was one of the things that his dad would say was that he always wanted more. He always wanted to go beyond what what I was willing to teach him. And and it ended up that it was his dad gave up his own composing career and his career as a musician in mm-hmm. order to take his son out on tour to introduce him to everybody out there making music in the world so that Mozart could soak up from them. And also yeah. he could make money off of putting his kid on a stage. Sure. And, and that's how, Mo- you know, Mozart became the breadwinner for the entire family because yeah. he was, he was a, he was a, genius yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know yeah. he recognized that his student had surpassed <laughs> yeah oh yeah surpassed Absol- the teacher a lot absolutely than, yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah know, very much ahead of schedule so but so you in know way, what you know it was, it was good that he was able to you know put his ego aside to some degree anyway I, yeah, I don't know if he that. did that i don't know if he did that. <laughs> exactly because okay. he okay. he really felt like mozart was a gift from god and that it was his but of course who who, who, who is it that actually brought him forth? His parents, but um, but he did everything he could to help support his son develop his musical ability because he could see that he had that gift and he wanted yeah. to help support him. I think that's another thing that um, Mozart and McCartney had in common. 
um, mm -hmm. in their foundations as human beings is that they had they came from pretty tight families and relatively small families. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were um, many more children, I think, born to the Mozart family, but only two survived infancy. So there were just two kids. Same thing in Mozart's I mean, in uh, McCartney's house, household, yeah. I think, just him and his yeah. brother. But but uh -huh. they both had families that were pretty tight. Their parents were tight until their mothers died when they were young. Mozart's mother died, I think, when he was 22, but he and he had been very close to her, too. But their fathers were both musicians yeah. who played in a band or an orchestra and they both actually composed music and they both had music experiences in the house where they mm -hmm. um where they gave their children access to music access to lessons whether they took them or not um and also gave them musical instruments they there was a piano in the mccartney household and a set of drums mm -hmm. and a trumpet and mozart had his dad was a violin teacher so he had access to a violin and to keyboards of whatever they were called at the time during his um you know the development of the keyboard mm -hmm. and they also both had music in the house to the point where they were raising their children to be comfortable performing in front of audiences to yeah. be on the stage mm -hmm. and both fathers did that and were very involved in supporting their kids interest in music and so how could you i mean how awesome is that yeah it, it really does jump out when you look at mozart's life like and mccartney's and compare them it's hard not to not to notice right away that the, each one has a, a strong father figure, mm -hmm. you know, a strong patriarchal influence in, in both families. Mm -hmm. um, and a musical, uh, uh, you know, a musical model in, in both right. fathers as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, I think the diff and... big difference is that, that Leopold wanted to keep controlling Mozart's life. Right, she right. wanted to guide him in a certain direction. I don't think McCartney's dad did that. He didn't. Yeah. Although when you were talking about Mozart supporting the family and, and everything yeah. like that, I think it's a definite parallel there with, with Paul yeah. and his family and his extended yeah. family, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, the, and his relationship with, with Jim, his father was not, you know, was not uncomplicated. Right. There were, you know, there were some issues of, you know, from what we can tell of controllingness on Jim's oh. part. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm learning something. <laughs> yeah, even though he is regarded by Paul and his brother Mike, and you know, by the whole family as a as a good father, you know, a present loving father, um, like Daphne said, it wasn't without its issues, you know. Oh yeah. Well, I know at one. T I mean, Mozart and his dad definitely had those moments. I know later when um, Mozart's older sister had uh, a ch she didn't marry until pretty late. She was. 33 or something and she had a child and she immediately gave the child to leopold to her dad to raise huh. his, yeah and um mm. and mozart meanwhile was married to constance weber mm -hmm. and they had two children uh, as well yeah that <laughs> lived and um and after Mozart found out that his father had taken on his sister's child. He 
wrote to his dad and said, hey, could you take mine too? Wow. wow. And he, his dad wrote, but there's letters that exist that, you know, where his dad was telling Nanurl, the sister, uh, your brother, you know, had the audacity to ask me to take the children as well. And I had to tell him off. I had to tell him a few things. I don't have a lot of words wow. left in my hand to write to you today because I spent so much of my time writing, you know, wow. no in a hundred different ways to Mozart. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. So that's, was Nanerol the favorite? <laughs> maybe so. But I just yeah. think, you know, you know, and at this time Leopold was kind of elderly and he passed away within a couple of years. But um, you know, he just felt that Mozart wanted him to take on his children so that he and his wife could be free fancy free to just go sure. do whatever yeah. they wanted sure and he wanted some different. babysitting <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he's like i'm not gonna do this just so that they can flit about <laughs> and did you know that one of mozart's sons also was a composer no yes Fran, i did no. actually oh, yes. yeah she did <laughs> yeah Fran, yes, Fran. <laughs> Yeah, Franz Haver Mozart. Uh, I have a collection of some of his music. Nice. And I know that Not... uh, Nannerl, his yeah. sister, was also a pianist, at least. She, she um... was. And that's how that's how Mozart got into music. When he was two or three, Leopold, their dad, started giving Nannerl music lessons at the piano. And, you know, Wolfie would kind of look around and watch what was going on. And he was soaking it all up. I mean, he was a little toddler learning music at the same time he was learning German and he started playing around and working out the music and pretty soon he had surpassed her really sure but sure but she start, she's the one who actually is uh, the person who captured his music like she had a notebook and she was writing down the music that he was playing that's why we have his earliest piano pieces if you look in the the catalog the music that's like 1a 1b up to like 24a and b um those works are little most of them little piano well they are all piano pieces um some of them have been orchestrated but not by him but um that's that's his earliest stuff and it's sweet it's sweet oh. yeah, i think i have <laughs> one of them on my playlist that reminds me of a mike mccartney story actually of, yeah. uh he he was gifted a drum set and so he was learning how to play drums and then one day paul kind of just wandered in and sat down and started tapping it the drum kit for like the first time and was so mm -hmm. much better than mike had managed <laughs> to get like was just like well, fine i won't be a drummer <laughs> that's funny wait does he does he what does michael mccartney do he had at least one hit in the 60s. He had a band for a while. Oh, really? He also, yeah, he's talented as well. And Mike also, I mean, not too surprisingly, he also was recruited to the Liverpool Institute as oh, well, you know, yeah. as well as Paul. So both sons were recruited. And he, we have him to thank for a lot of great early photographs of Paul and the Beatles. Interesting. But he but makes really good ex uh, But expressive. Drawings like too. Yes, exactly. An artist. Yes, That's an cool. artist. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, I'm going to call him Nanerol. And... <laughs> That's right. He is the, he's the Nanerol. Was there any indication that Mozart um, 
felt more comfortable expressing himself in music versus words was there is there any indication that he felt constrained that he felt words were limited for him at all i don't know but that's a really good question i'm gonna have to look into that yeah those are things i would want to know things i want to you know look into because sometimes i do these deep dives into the histories and lives of composers um because i want to know where the inspiration for something came from and Mm-hmm. And uh, but that that would be interesting to know. I I've always wondered. You know, they didn't have any kind of diagnoses like autism, autism or, yeah. any any autism spectrum um, kind of thing back. You know, back in the 1700s. Yeah. Um, you were either like profoundly <laughs> or the 1960s. You know... Right. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, just to answer back to your original question, I don't know if Mozart um felt that way if he if he was more comfortable expressing himself musically than in in words i i know that he didn't seem to have any trouble writing letters he wrote a lot of letters to a lot of people and Mm -hmm. he was famous for his scatological humor so he wasn't above you know potty talk yeah for sure yeah it's kind of a deep it's kind of a deep question you'd have to get into like the quality of his personal relationships and You'd have to of ask course. his best friend, and he's just not <laughs> yeah, around. Right. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you know we we frequently talk about how Paul, like obviously Paul can speak. He, you know, he's he's linguistically yeah. gifted as well, and has been since childhood. But he also is constantly saying like, "Ugh, words. They don't. They're not enough." Sometimes words aren't enough. Sometimes you need sound. And sometimes you need images. And I, isn't he a painter as well? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure this is, pro- I mean, just to, you know, to, to relate to it myself, I feel like he's probably got something in him that he just needs to get out and express to the world, whether it's love yeah. for his wife or his children or um, his, his anger at unfairness in society and something. So Valerie, was Mozart a music fan? Like, was he a lover of, of music? Oh, I, how could he not be? How could he not? How, I mean, he had to be. He's not like other composers who, you know, walked 20 miles in their bare feet to go and see another artist perform. But his dad took him around, not just to show him off, but also to expose him to mm-hmm. other people's music. When, um, you know, looking at the bigger influences in his life, uh, Johann Christian Bach, one of Bach's yes. sons, was a huge influence in his life. When um, I mean, he was considerably older, but when um, when Mozart was a kid, his dad took him, and I'm thinking it must have been in London that the two of them met. And Mozart heard Johann Christian Bach's music being played and just was astounded and majorly influenced by that. He's probably the bigger, well, I don't want to say bigger influence than his dad, but um, but it's kind of like when someone teaches you everything you know, but then you see somebody else's, yeah. That that's what Johann Christian Bach was for Mozart. And so he was a big fan of his music. I know that uh, there were many other composers and performers that Mozart was energized by and was really good friends with. I think a really good example would be Anton Stadler. Um, the clarinet was kind of a new instrument 
back then. And there were these two brothers that were the rock stars of the clarinet, if you will, <laughs> of that time. And Mozart was just, uh, he thought that their playing was brilliant. And so much so that he was inspired to write music specifically for them to play on their instruments. So his clarinet concerto, it's clarinet mm-hmm. quintet, um, you know, all of that music was written specifically for artists that he thought needed to have music for them because he was he loved what he heard them play. And for sure, he heard other people playing music and writing music that he was inspired to write music for, like Haydn. At the time, Haydn was a much bigger star than Mozart. Uh-huh. He was rich. he had his own orchestra he was a huge rock star of his time um and mozart wanted to meet him and and in when they did though it was haydn who said that kid is the (laughs) best composer i have ever known in my life haydn said that about mozart so um but they wrote music for each other because haydn was really writing revolutionary music he developed the string quartet and mozart wrote string quartets that he dedicated to haydn so yes of course he was a huge music fan yeah and Paul has always enjoyed writing for other artists as well. Even in the in the height of Beatlemania in the in the 60s. Really? He's, yeah, he's writing specifically for other artists. I didn't know that. Who did he tell me some? Um he wrote specifically for Cilla Black, for Peter oh, yeah. Gordon. Um and then he'd also famously said here there and everywhere was in, inspired like he was thinking of Marianne Faithful how she would sing it as he was writing oh. it. Ooh. That's cool. Yeah, and he and he wrote songs for um, Mary Hopkins. Uh, Mary Hopkins, whose career he started basically, is the, she made her first record with him as producer. This is in 1968. So uh-huh. yeah, while he was a Beatle, even. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, I didn't of, know that. Yeah. yeah. So just returning to that early period and just kind of drawing a few of the similarities, I found in my research that Mozart you know found it easy to learn and imitate the styles of his day he was adept at sort of picking up the local sound if you will of wherever he was stationed so to speak wherever he was a resident or or wherever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i saw a little bit of a similarity there mccartney always talks about how his early songs were also in the style of you know buddy holly or the everly brothers or whatever oh yeah mccartney and lennon were very open about that they you know they were basically just imitating the styles of of their favorites in the beginning but it's it's not really something that i think people associate with classical composers or mozart or with genius per se i think part of the sort of public perception of being a genius composer is that everything you do is original and but it makes sense that both of them would begin in their early works of you know being sort of copycats yeah well quoting other people or or uh, or just paying homage to other people that had influences them in them i think everybody does that yes everybody does that and and really you know um i read a lot of liner notes 
every day, right? Because I want to learn. When I play a piece of music, I want to learn what was behind that piece of music. And so I read a lot of liner notes or, you know, Wikipedia articles or other sources for biographical information Mm -hmm. and history to find out what was going on during the time that, you know, this piece of music was written or whatever. But, um, but in liner notes, you know, I've read a lot of different people's opinions and picking, they pick apart every note, every every line of every piece of music that that composers are writing so it's hard to be a composer to sneak in a snippet of somebody else's music without someone going aha I know where that came from yeah and so (laughs) so yeah there's a lot of those it may not be quite as obvious as like vanilla ice yeah yeah um but there's a lot of that and and how could you not i mean that's that's what composers did and it's what composers do they hear something they think hmm whether they even realize it whether it's conscious or subconscious Mm -hmm. and they take it and they work it in and i think i think mozart probably did that a lot i can't think of any specific uh examples right now i can think of a lot of examples just uh, you know in classical music in in general but i'm sure that i know that paul mccartney did that too mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's more acceptable now with the you know with the advent of sampling and even my background is in poetry i'm a recovering academic um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know lately the the notion of found poetry has been gaining traction mm-hmm. where you take inspiration right. from you know full you know whole whole sections of text that you might see you know in an amazon tea kettle review or mm. on scrawled <laughs> on a wall in the bathroom you know and then you put your own twist you use that as a springboard yeah um and that you know probably you know, 30 years ago, that would be seen as hack work. But now it's becoming recognized as like an art form in and of itself. And also the translations from different languages, mm. uh, you know, a- another sort of becoming more accepted mode of, of translation is to translate purely by sound. Well, think about uh, sign language. There's more than one form of sign language and mm-hmm. more and more... Um, people are, I mean, people have become more fascinated with watching sign language interpreters interpret mm-hmm. speeches because of the emotion and the, the, the strength of the movements that they're making yeah, when they're translating. Like yeah. Built in slam poetry. Right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. an art form all, all, all on its own. Yeah. 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 I think there's art That's in everything. Art in everything. Just to sort of finish up on the uh, the biographical stuff, one thing I wanted to talk about briefly, could just sort of get your reaction to this, if you have any opinion on it. Um, Paul McCartney insists that his family did not consider him a prodigy. As you said, he was plucked from a school in Speak and sent to the Liverpool Institute due to his exceptional grades, performance, scores, you know. 
and was on a very high track at the Liverpool Institute as well. Really? Kind of thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, he was on track. <laughs> He's ruining his career. Yeah. To really do, to right. really do good things. Yeah. So, and then John, um, John Lennon later said, yeah, I ruined Paul's life because I, I took him away from his, his studies, <laughs> which is so cute. That's funny. <laughs> Well, he here's my take on that, why his family may not have seen uh, Paul as a child prodigy um, when he so clearly was, or at least a teenage prodigy. You know, I don't, I don't think he really had the, his dad wasn't obsessed with developing him uh, as a breadwinning musician right sure. yeah to be sure. the breadwinner for the family that's really what mozart's dad was doing he was like oh i could this kid could go places i can take the natural what he saw as his god-given talent and turn it into something amazing and great well mm -hmm. paul was paul was born during world war ii uh -huh. his family was having a tough go of it mom's a midwife dad is working in an industry that he didn't necessarily want to be in, in, working in, right. but yeah. you know, he had to do, he had to do his part, first of all, for the war effort. And second, he had to put food on the table. Right. Mm -hmm. um, his kids were his kids that needed to go to school. That was not the case back in the 1750s with Mozart's family. There was no school to send your kids off to. They were there in the house living in the music world that his dad was working in. That's how his dad was making the money was in music. But Paul's dad was a brilliant musician and composer himself. Yep. He, yeah. he, music was part of their world. So yes. I don't think he necessarily realized his dad. If you probably, if you sat down and asked Paul, he might tell you that his dad was a musical genius as well. And so, you know, when you come from that kind of background, sometimes it's so close that you don't see it. Well, I well, agree. Let... And I, I agree with you also that they had a, a fair bit of financial insecurity that would definitely push, especially somebody who is, has a lot of academic promise. Mm -hmm. It makes all the sense in the world that Jim would push him in that direction. I mean, he doesn't want him. To, yeah. And also, well, pa Paul's doing rock and roll, which is not even a job, really. Sure. It was and, brand and like, new. Yeah. And it was yeah. brand new, something totally revolutionary. And a lot of people from his dad's generation were horrified at the sound. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, right. The, yes. the electric guitar had only been around for a few years. Well, and Mike, Mike McCartney, Paul's brother, specifically said that if, if you know, Mary was very keen for Paul to become, you know, something like a doctor, you know, ideally a doctor or something on that level. And that there is absolutely no way that she would have allowed Paul to spend so much time with his music that Paul would not have become a Beatle mm. if Mary had lived. Right. That's probably true. Which, which seems like, you know, that I have to take him at his word there because I feel like you wouldn't say that about your mom unless it was true. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. My other thought is, you know, as you said, Jim was a musician who earned money as a musician for a mm -hmm. while in his younger years and a composer, right? He, in mm -hmm. 1975, Paul actually recorded one of his songs and he has this cute little story that he always tells when he recorded it. He said, Hey dad, I, I recorded that song you wrote. And Jim goes, what song? And he goes, walking in the park with Eloise. And Jim replies, Oh, I didn't write that song. I just made it up. <laughs> very cute uh, you know folksy yeah. sort of story but i do think that it illustrates 
kind of how constrained they were by class and ownership and like the concept of intellectual property mm -hmm. that was something that he didn't think that he even owned necessarily Let me ask you, what are your favorite um, McCartney pieces? I've become a huge fan of Standing Stone, actually. The, I guess maybe like the very first time, and I was a bit younger at that time, it, it was kind of less accessible to me, it sounded. Mm -hmm. But now, I don't know if it's the age I'm at or whatever, but it's my favorite, huh? my favorite of, of them all. I think my um, favorite classical, well, okay, I just, I can't pick between my children. Sorry, I asked you to do that. <laughs> um, but as far as that genre of yeah. music that he's written, um, I, if you heard Eke Cormeo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I just, every time I hear it, I, I don't ever have, I've only been able to play Standing Stone once in its entirety on the air because it's so long mm -hmm. and um, I just don't, you know, there's certain FCC guidelines that we have to <laughs> sure. you know, follow. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I have not played Standing Stone more than just once. And I think it was on his birthday. I have played Eke Cormeum the whole way through more than once I on the air. I, and I play snippets of it all the time, which is not really what we do. We don't normally play just one part of something we'll play a whole symphony not just not just a movement yeah but each individual movement of Eke Cormeum is so beautiful yeah I just and if you read if you ever have the opportunity to look at the lineup of musicians on that one work it is insane it's like doing a performance of Beethoven's Ninth I really feel like that is kind of McCartney's Ninth because it's like you've got a boys chorus and a chorus of, you know, more than one chorus. And then there is a solo singer. And then there are all the different, there's more than one orchestra involved. It's just insane. <laughs> It's got some hooks in it that just send me. Nice. Yeah, I love, I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. The lament is is. Yes. That's pretty amazing. Yes, I like that too. Yeah, that's very moving. Yeah. One of the things that I kept hearing about Mozart is is that his later works became um, yeah. dramatic. I think he started writing for bigger choral forces and um, 
you know, writing like the the masses and yeah. the um the requiem. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, like if you want to see something, <laughs> find something that is that is comparable of McCartney's to Mozart's. You know, musically, yes. um the that Eke Cormeum and the Requiem to me are kind of the same, like the Lacrimosa from the Requiem and the Gratia from Eke Cormeum um, are two that I listen to side by side because they're both, to me, I don't, I don't mean that the, the notes are similar. I right. mean that the... Um, the feel? Yeah, the feel and kind of what they're doing, you know, mm. is, is really similar. Hmm. Yeah, and I need to get more familiar with the ballet that he wrote with Ocean's. Ocean, um, yeah, Ocean's uh, Kingdom. I really yeah, like. Yeah. I really like that one too. I was prepared yeah. to. I, you know, I went into it kind of just like, uh, okay, he wrote a ballet. I'll listen to it, and then I'm like, damn, right. if I don't like this a lot too. Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I can, I can appreciate what he was trying to do with Liverpool with this first oratorio. Yeah. 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 But I, but it's not my favorite thing. But yeah. parts of it, I agree with you, but parts of it are gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they're maybe kind of weighed down by the size of it. But definitely, I feel like there are um, moments of, of brilliance in it. so many others it's like i trying to nail down you know what my favorite pieces are from either of those composers is really hard to do i mean that's why thank goodness for playlist where you can just go oh you want to know my favorite piece hit play Mm -hmm. yeah listen to them all listen to them all they each have their their moments believe it or not if you're talking about the sound the notes the actual like as if McCartney was, whether intentionally or unintentionally, um, sampling music. <laughs> um, I don't look to Mozart for that. I look to Bach for that. Mm. So <laughs> I have found some really striking similarities musically between some of McCartney's music and some of Bach's music. But I don't know if that was as much McCartney at McCartney's influence as it was George Martin's. Oh, I guess yeah. that makes well, sense. That does Paul make sense. Has talked, yeah, he's talked about Bach though. Has he? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, as uh 
it was a, a warm-up it was a Bach piece that yes that inspired Blackbird or at least it was a Bach flavored guitar finger warm-up that he and George yeah. used to do uh-huh yeah 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 so I think maybe Bach was played to them a lot in those music appreciation classes I agree uh, with that. I I really think that that is probably the case, and I would love to sit down and ask him about that. I can tell you that there are some very like you know you sent me a video clip of yes, Paul yes, playing yes. the piano, that song that he just kind of came up with on the fly. Um, the it's just Paul's. It's the it's what he's playing at the beginning of Let It Be. Oh, okay. The sort of, of adagio of, for strings. It's Yeah, type. but I don't hear Samuel Barber when I hear that. That's not what jumped out at me. It, what jumped out at me was Bach. That just sounds like what would be coming out of Bach. If Bach was just sitting down riffing at the piano, <laughs> that's what he would be writing. That's what he would yeah. be doing right now. Yeah. And um, like some of the inventions. But um, there's definitely some really strong similarities in sound between some Bach and Beatles music but one of my absolute favorite McCartney classical pieces that like like it didn't strike me immediately so much then it just grew on me like weed it was so is uh, the violin solo from the work movement of Liverpool Oratorio It's just a very simple, I don't know, it's very, it's a tearjerker, right? And that's the thing about his music, it just gets me in yeah. the feels <laughs> every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah I am that way about, um, and always have been, with Golden Slumbers, with yeah. um, Blackbird, specifically. Yeah. Like, when I go back to when I was pregnant with my daughter, um many years ago that I used to sing that song to her when she was in the womb If I had to pick, like, a thing that got me into the Beatles, I came to my Beatle fandom, you know, relatively late, in my in my mid-twenties. It was the Abbey Road medleys. The way that You Never Give Me Your Money winds its way back in after Golden Slumbers and carry that weight. It just feels... Oh, it just feels... When the mm -hmm. horns come in with the uh, da, 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 it just feels it feels like just the most intense feelings of regret and just bittersweet. Yes. Almost yeah. guilt a little bit, just of like, uh Yeah, tragedy. You know, I didn't do it. I didn't do enough. <laughs> that whole medley yeah. I feel exactly the same way you do about it and again I wonder 
how much of that was George Martin? It's yeah, we'll never we'll never really know. And I feel I like suppose. when people talk about comparing people in Mozart's life to people in McCartney's life, like I look at George Martin as Leopold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's a as, great comparison. Yeah, because I think that George Martin took over kind of that role, um, you know, guiding Paul. And not only that, but you know, when I talked earlier about how Mozart, how his dad recognized that Mozart always wanted more. He always wanted to learn more. He just had this mm -hmm. voracious appetite for learning and interpreting music and wanting to get those melodies out there into the world and create music for the world. Um, I think that George Martin was kind of that person for, for Paul because Paul wanted to do that as well. Like he yeah. wanted to create these pieces of music and how do you do it with the technology that they had at that time? And George is like, oh, I have an idea. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Lad. This. Let's slow it down. Let's reverse it. Let's flip it up. And mm -hmm. well, yeah, I, I definitely think... agree. And And in terms of being a mentor, obviously, you know, he taught Paul quite a bit, but Paul's very open about that. He, you know, he knew basically nothing about classical music. He didn't know what a string quartet was. You know, he knew nothing, sure. really. Sure. Right. George Martin taught him all of that. And then the other thing I think that's vitally important that people don't even really talk about that much is that I think George Martin saw immediately Paul's you know the spark of genius in paul potential yeah and the potential in him and you know some other people have commented on it like little richard saw it right away you mm -hmm. know but but george martin i think he was the pivotal person i think in paul's life that really recognized there is something very special in this person and i'm going to do whatever i can to bring it out in him and to give him the confidence to make sure that it comes out and that he pushes himself yeah and mm -hmm. he had the temperament to be able to do that. Paul once called him like he had the best bedside manner of any producer <laughs> that he ever worked with, which I think is a great, yeah, very sweet. Because yeah. he knows he's temperamental as well. Yes. Yeah. And there's also a great story from one of George Martin's sons, not Giles, one of his other ones who said that I think it was during tug of war that George Martin came home and was like, oh, I'm never working with him again. And then, he, of course, he did multiple times. But <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think um, that Paul has this music in his head, and he knows what he wants the result to be. Yeah. And sometimes it's got to be difficult working with someone like that, Definitely. who's already got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In there. And he's got to make what he hears inside his head come out. Yep. And sometimes he can't figure it out, and that's why he needed the help of someone like George Martin. I mm -hmm. think that's why he and John Lennon had such a great songwriting partnership because they would play off of each other um, in a way that only two people who've known each other since they were teenagers could do. Yeah. You know, who speak the same finishing. language. Yeah. They, they <laughs> can finish each other's sentences. I, I have a, my best friend from high school, she and I, we can look at each other and we know exactly what the other one is saying yeah. with only a flare of the nostril <laughs> right 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 and i think that that's kind of the relationship that that john lennon and and paul mccartney had um i wish i had written it down who who said this about mozart some biographer or something but they said that mozart didn't just have the mark of genius but that he had the fire of imagination and charm 
and that his heart was as sensitive as his ear and that he is an example of unlimited potential for creative development. Wow. Yeah. And for me, I think that kind of really wraps it up and puts a bow on what I think makes both of them so similar that charm and elegance and sensitivity and imagination and honestly that charm both of them have that and a you know a a lightness a joy yeah yeah and even even though mozart's later stuff starts to get more intense Mm -hmm. you know more more weight to it more like of a burden kind of weight more in of course music. yeah there's that too yeah but but i think that for them if you're listening to all 600 of mozart's pieces back to back i think that um you know john lennon one time said that uh how he was different from mccartney was that paul was lightness and optimism and i think that's what you hear in mozart's music overwhelmingly through most of it it's like like that lightness mm-hmm. yeah that hope and joy yeah i think it's often characterized as frivolous and right you, oh. you know like it's 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 coded as being something bad shallow but i think it really is just like a like a lightness of spirit a joyfulness which is not right. frivolous doesn't mean right. you're daft right and exactly. which again doesn't put the lie to the darker stuff like that's also an element it's just that i think it's rarer for artists to have that gift to be able to communicate joy i think that Mm -hmm. is a very rare Mm -hmm. thing and so when someone has it i think there's a tendency to think that that must be all there is to them i have a little tidbit of information of another like a similarity between mozart and mccartney that you might you might i don't know you might know you might not um you know i was talking about how they both art were so uh, experimental and wanting to get outside of the box and experiment with new techniques. Mm-hmm. Mozart got into glass music. You know what that hey. is? Wow. <laughs> so there's different kinds of glass music. You can make, you know, you can rub your finger on the outside of a wine glass. Of a wine yeah. glass. Mm-hmm. And make music. But there were also, during Mozart's time, Ben Franklin actually invented this. Uh, it was a, a machine the, the, uh, that had spindles, glass spindles that you would wet your fingers and rub them on. People probably got a lot of lead poisoning from this. Um, <laughs> but but um, to make music. And, and there is a gorgeous album called Cristal, which features some of the music that Mozart specifically wrote for glass instruments. Oh, how fascinating. Um, using the glass harmonica. And um, yeah, it's gorgeous. If, in fact, Linda Ronstadt, I think, may have produced the album. She sings on it. There's a, a lot of other great um, classical performers involved in this, in that album. But um, but M- Mozart, I, I think he may have owned a glass harmonica as well. And I know that Paul also did some experimenting with glass music. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just to find just to find different ways to express yourself musically. I just I love that about them. Yep. That's wonderful. I wonder if Paul was aware of that at the time that he made the glasses track that is on his first solo album. 
I don't know. I wasn't until I was about 38. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I found out today. Sure. I was today years old. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's a portion of um, that TV special that he did. Chaos and Creation at Abbey Road, maybe? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That he's he's playing some glasses for the audience and saying, if you you can do this at home if you want, you can do this and that. And there, bing, bam, boom, there you go. He's funny. Like, yeah. He's such a teacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone can play the piano. Everyone can write songs. If they just... Exactly. Believe in themselves. Tried. If they just yeah. believe in themselves. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I think it just I think it I, I think it's easier said than done for that, but it's so easy <laughs> but I think it's so yeah. easy for him to say because it comes so naturally. It comes so naturally. Yeah. yeah. Well that that's an interesting thing too, because that is one of the things that I also found when researching Mozart is that his his being a child prodigy and being able to write music at an early age and uh, like we discussed earlier you know being able to mimic other people's styles and stuff like that was sort of used as kind of a criticism against him for a long time you know mm. be before like the mid 20th century or whatever when he, he has... said that let's go to their house and beat them up exactly <laughs> it's such a goofball <laughs> take right but it's been used on on paul as well that it's almost like because he is so prolific and be, because it comes so easy to him there must be a catch like it it can't be authentic that must mean something bad like it cheapens it because it's oh, easy yeah. for him and if it was if he was a real artist he would be struggling and he would have writer's blocks and yeah it's just a, well wow. it, you know it's just a lucky quirk well, like just Michael because... Phelps being born with slightly webbed fingers, <laughs> you know, he he didn't do anything to earn it. It's just, it's just how he was made. Yeah, he can and just so jump high he, and run fast. He should, right, he should get no credit. <laughs> well, just I because Rachmaninoff had writer's block, serious writer's block. I mean, he had to he had to find a hypnotist actually to really help get. Oh yeah, to get ha, past ooh. it. Um. But just because McCartney and Mozart never had writer's block, I mean, doesn't mean that they're not amazing creative geniuses. Clearly, clearly they yeah. both were. And, and clearly they just both had music flowing through their veins. Agreed. And, you know, had to get it out there. Uh, just to be, just to be an, a never ending fountain of melody. I, uh, that, I'm yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a very enviable position, and I think I mean uh, it's it sounds goofy to say like oh they're just jealous and that's why they say mean things about you you know um, <laughs> like this is middle right. school or something but uh, but I really do think that there is an element of jealousy that is has led to people trying to pull him down a little bit right 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 oh yeah for sure and and the same thing happened to Mozart too. Um, Clearly, to make music, he had to work for other people. There was this wealthy count he worked for at one time who would, like, make him sit in the kitchen and eat with the valets. He just wanted to control him, wanted to have him, wanted him to make him make the music that he wanted him to make. And Mozart mm -hmm. wanted to get out there and be a freelancer. Right. It was yeah. kind of relating it to, to nowadays. It's like he, he had signed with a record company that then didn't put out his albums. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he right. wanted out of his contract. And you know what he had to endure to get out of his contract? 
he actually had to let his employer spank him. Um, Stop it. I, no. It's, no. I'm dead serious. I'm dead that serious. That can't be true. It is absolutely true. <laughs> Physically, right, well, literally. That's, that's... That speaks to something else. <laughs> I do. I agree. I agree. Oh no! But but it was it was meant to make him suffer some hu humiliation. Yeah. So wait, it was it was a punishment. Yeah, Mozart wanted to get out of this job. He didn't want to have this contract anymore with Colorado. I don't remember if he was a count or a, or what his royal title was, but Colorado, you know, he wanted to own Mozart, didn't just wanted to have him. He didn't want to, yeah. you know, he didn't really appreciate what Mozart really had or wanted yeah. to give. He and wanted Mo to own the tiger. Yeah. And he wanted basically, An for, oh, that's, oh, that's my boy over there. And I'll have him write Jeez. a little a con concerto for us. Yikes. Um, yeah. And so finally, the way that the count allowed him to go is if he suffered the ultimate humiliation which was allow him to actually spank him God, uh, yeah but that was actually the the period after that was when mozart really started to fly because hmm. he was free he didn't have to um be beholden to anybody and he didn't have to jump when anybody said jump that's an incredible oh. story. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I, <laughs> sounds to me like that count is a pervert and just saw it today. <laughs> My God. Well, people who were born with silver spoons and are sitting there on their little thrones and having the opportunity to, you know, have whatever they want. That's true. For money. And he's like, oh, let me, I get to humiliate this brilliant yeah. musical genius. What a power yeah. trip for me. Yeah, and Mozart was willing to endure it in order to be free, to be able to wow. make his own way in the world. That's yeah. intense. That's even more intense than like changing your name to a weird symbol, you know? <laughs> 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 the artist formerly known as Mozart. <laughs> He's like, just beg me and get it over with. Can I read you one thing? I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Like I choked when I read it. Yeah. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> this is about uh, Cozy Fantuti. Uh-huh. They write that it was long reviled from Beethoven onward on account of its subject, female fickleness. But a more careful reading of it, especially in light of the emotional texture of the music, which gains complexity as the plot progresses, makes it clear that it is no frivolous piece, but a penetrating essay on human feelings and their mature recognition. <laughs> when I read that, I thought, man, if you replaced Cozy Fantuti with McCartney's debut single, Another Day, oh. no one would be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as familiar with Co actually what's weird is that I yesterday pulled out uh Cosi Fantute to play some of it on my show and I didn't get around to it and I'm not it I am not as familiar with Mozart's operas as I am with the rest of his yeah. music only because we we don't play much opera I mean I think they were they were saying that 
that in conjunction with two others that he wrote at the time like he wrote three of them and uh-huh. that it was like kind of a dip in his you know the critical reception or, or whatever right. but that it, it's been re-evaluated as time goes on but it, it was wild to me because it never occurred to me that mozart would be reviewed poorly because one right. of his operas had girly subject material like right that's, <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> Right. right right let's all look forward to a day when people will look back and be like oh they got on paul's case for writing about women what a <laughs> joke one of my favorite opera maybe an operetta that mozart wrote which is really it was one of his most revolutionary pieces like it's like something from the white album it's uh it's it's <laughs> cr- crazy because he worked in all these crazy sounds and percussion and drums and trumpets and and weird turkish band instruments was the abduction from the seraglio it's it uh, the abduction meaning the you know being kidnapped from the seraglio which is a whorehouse <laughs> It's the most raucous thing that Mozart ever wrote. And again, it's about being abducted from a brothel. So he was writing about risque stuff. Maybe I wonder what the order is. I don't know what the order is of if he wrote that before or after Cosi Fantute. I don't know. But um, so he, he wasn't he he loved writing, doing risque kind of r- rebellious stuff. Yeah. So I thought about the fact that, you know, Mozart died at age 36. Yeah. Right. And no doubt had he lived, judging from his entire life up to that point, he would have continued to make music. It would have continued to be lovely and brilliant. Now, Mozart didn't go through, you know, he wasn't blamed for the breakup of his band. And, you know, there were like his other mitigating factors that sort of contributed to criticism of his later work Mm -hmm. but i wonder if he would continue to be compared unfairly to his earlier work you know and sort of like that era segregated as like this is his genius period and then he right right (laughs) right you know yeah, I know that people like talk about a lot of composers about their early period, their middle period, and their late period, and their musical development from one mm-hmm. to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny because I don't see a lot of criticism in the liner notes about um, <laughs> saying, "Oh, this this stuff from his early period is so juvenile." I I don't see. Yeah. I don't see that that often when it comes to classical music because probably uh, all the people writing that stuff know that all you have to say to them is, so if it was so easy, why don't you do it? (laughs) (laughs) 
Paul is always, he's been compared to his Beatles work, you know, unfavorably. But his work as a Beatle is just his work as a young man. Right. Even if you want to, you know, accept, which is a fair point, that the Beatles represented a peak era for him in terms of, especially in terms of being like cutting edge, which wouldn't be unusual. Most songwriters are at their most cutting edge in their 20s. Right. The fact remains, he has been prolific and creative and pushing boundaries throughout his entire life up, up until the present day. Exactly. What I see him, do, what I saw him doing, taking a look at his entire, um, you know, library of music, you know, he started off writing little ditties on gu yeah. guitar or piano, uh -huh. worked into this rock and roll period where he was writing music for yeah. a chamber you know chamber music really because you know yeah. four people and then it was just electrified chamber music right and then and then after that he went into like this whole new phase i mean he was still writing what we would call rock and roll but he was um doing a lot more experimenting in the recording studio and working with all these different people and then moving into writing ballet and orchestral music and choral music and movie soundtracks and all the stuff that he's done. And he's kind of come back a little bit to some more, you know, he's always done it, but he's um, also still doing all this acoustic stuff. He's just, he's just continuing to grow. And I wish that Mozart had had more years to grow too, because I, I, I what, what would he have done next? Yeah. I'd yeah. love to know. We'll never know. Yeah, we'll never, ever know because he died at the peak. Some people think that he died of, um, you know, there's the, the jury's still out on what exactly it is yeah. that. Botulism, syphilis, who knows? Yeah, all of the different things that could have done him in. But, um, but uh, you know, for a long time, it was thought it was just pure exhaustion because he was so mm. on fire at that yeah. time and he was just exhaustively exhaustively pushing himself to write more music whether it was right whether he was writing it to try just to make money to support his family or whether it was because he had it in him and he had to get it out mm -hmm. i don't know but um yeah but definitely he was he was just writing so much and and didn't have time to finish it even well, you know, yeah. it's interesting that you say that because Paul McCartney described something similar towards the end of the 60s. And he said basically that his wife, Linda, was the intervention that he needed. You know, he said more than a few times, I was going way too hard, way too hard. Right. And like just burning the candle at both ends. And she would put me in a car and we'd go on a drive and not return phone calls and not do all these things that I was doing that I felt like I had to finish. Yes. Yep. And well, that was the intervention that saved my life. Um, that's he's lucky that he had that because yes. Mozart didn't really have that. I mean, he had a wife that loved him and, and adored him, but he, you know, he was in a position where when someone said, Hey, can you do this for me? He would do it. They, he, mm -hmm. one time he and Constance were on their way back from visiting I think his family he was introducing his new wife to the family and they were on their way back home and they had to stop for a couple of days because you know they were in a horse-drawn carriage and 
people heard that he was there. And so this wealthy count said, hey, come stay with me. And while you're at it, can you write a symphony so that we can have a, you know, a performance while you're here? And Mozart in four days. My God. The Linz Symphony. (laughs) Yeah. Four days. Wow. I hope he got if, paid for that. Uh, yeah, I know he got to stay for free at the Count's house. So Yeah, exactly. He probably was like, didn't occur to him. We'll feed you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's how that tracks. That sounds yeah, right. so that so you can see how maybe that's why Paul has lived to be 80 and Mozart died at 36 because Mozart yeah, just didn't yeah. have the ability to say no or to put his phone on silence, you know. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah, or to have, you know, a, a wife say it's okay to be tired. You're allowed. Right. Yeah, you can take a day off. Yeah. Yeah. He did he really didn't take any time off. So he was constantly putting himself out there. And I think that can that can really drain an artistic soul of their ability to be creative. As the remaining Beatles age, Paul McCartney is 80. Beatles people talk a lot about legacy. One thing I would like to read, uh, once again, from the Encyclopedia Britannica online, Mm -hmm. this is regarding Mozart's legacy. It says, it was only in the 20th century that Mozart's music began to be re-examined more broadly. Although up to the middle of the century, Mozart was still widely regarded as having been surpassed in most respects by Beethoven with the increased historical perspective of the later 20th century, he came to be seen as an artist of a formidable, indeed, perhaps unequaled, expressive range. The traditional image of the child prodigy turned refined drawing room composer, who could miraculously conceive an entire work in his head before setting pen to paper, which was always a distortion of the truth, gave way to the image of the serious and painstaking creative artist with acute human insight whose complex psychology demanded exploration by writers, historians, and scholars. So it's so striking to me how our modern concept of Mozart is so different from how he was perceived, apparently, mm-hmm. for 200 years. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Bach, actually. Um you know, Bach was absolutely a f- completely forgotten composer until one guy who was the conductor of the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra decided to try to reintroduce his music to the world because he thought he was so brilliant, even if nobody else did. And that was Felix Mendelssohn. And that's why Bach is considered one of the three, you know, big B's today, along with Beethoven, like you said, and um, and Brahms. But um, I'm still a bigger fan of Mozart all the way around. But that Beethoven, is fascinating. Oh yeah, Bach. if you I had no idea. Yeah, nobody really knew who he was. No, he just had been completely forgotten. Um, but you know, I I agree that Beethoven is one of the biggest figures ever in mm-hmm. classical music. But you know who he tried and failed to get as his music teacher. When he was a kid, mm-hmm. Mozart. Interesting. 
Yeah, when he was 16, <laughs> he went to wherever Mozart was at the time. Maybe it was in Vienna. I'm not sure. But um, he tr he went to try to um, study with Mozart, and he was unsuccessful. Hmm. But that's who he wanted to learn from. So if you want to know who Beethoven thought was the greatest, there you go. Yeah. Obviously, McCartney comes 200 years after Mozart, and well, this century this, it's going to be somebody else. As far as legacy goes, the composers of Beethoven's era had everything that was ever written before yeah. then yes. to play off of and to riff off of and to expand on. And everybody since Beethoven has had everything that Beethoven did and the people before him. It's kind of like, look at it as DNA, you know? Yeah. We are made up of the people that came before us and we just add more onto it. And so McCartney had everything that Beethoven did, everything that Bach did, everything that Mozart did, everything that Little Richard did, everything that Elvis Presley did yeah. to riff off of and expand upon. And the yeah. people that come after Paul McCartney and the Beatles have everything that they did to revolutionize music and those influences prior to them to expand upon and riff upon. So who knows what we're gonna be listening to in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years. Wish, <laughs> wish I could be around to hear it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I think the main takeaway is that it's not that no one will ever come again and and revolutionize music or you know do wonderful things that we hadn't thought of yet i really think the main thing is about universal appeal and durability mm -hmm. and accessibility mm -hmm. and that's a lot harder than people tend to think of it right in the classical music world, I think um, things are kind of coming back around again a little bit. For a while there in the, well, the mid to late 20th century, um, it was hard to find stuff that was being written during that time that I can really appreciate because mm. people were trying so hard to be different and unique and not do anything that anybody before them had done that it wasn't tuneful. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't yeah. pleasing to my ear. Mm -hmm. Um and as I'm getting older, though, I'm fine. I'm, you know, and as I'm being exposed to more things, I am starting to find things that I can appreciate. But also, I think that people are starting to get over that. They're like, oh, it was so what if I might sound a little bit like <sighs> an earlier era? So what if I don't sound like I'm necessarily inventing something brand new? You, you know, just accept the fact that you have a millennium of music in a library to use as inspiration to write more music and i think i think music is starting to sound more accessible again which makes me very happy because mm. if classical music especially what i do if a classical music radio show is supposed to endure and appeal to more listeners throughout the years then i have to have music that people want to hear and will tune in again to hear right. more of you know Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean what's the point of it if if you don't want to listen to it <laughs> right and i'm sure that even the stuff that i find unlistenable appeals to somebody <laughs> it just doesn't appeal to me it's like your food has to taste good right exactly. right <laughs>
I've learned so much today. Oh, there good. you go. Well, us too. <laughs> I'm he glad we were it. able to pay you back a little. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I could sit here and talk all day. Thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. Oh yeah, yes. I know I I no, I've really been looking forward to this. Yay. Oh, thank you. I could sit here and talk to you all day as well. <laughs> but apparently we all have things that we need to do. <laughs> thank you so much for being on our show. Yes, this has thank been you. fantastic. So it much. Really fun highlight of my month. Awesome. Me too. Oh. You're the best. Y'all are. We're all the best. Okay. Thank you for listening to Another Kind of Mind. You can find all the wonderful music from this episode listed in our show notes. Check out our playlist if you want more McCarty and Mozart. If you'd like to join the ACOM conversation, link us on Facebook and join our lively discussion group. We're also on Instagram, Tumblr, and of course, you can also reach us at our website, anotherkindofmine.com. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, tell your wives, tell your kids, tell your husbands, friends, and neighbors. Leave us a nice review on iTunes, hit the five on Spotify, buy some merch from our Tea Public store, or just show us some love in whatever way you feel. Most importantly, take care and be safe. We'll see you next time. Do you have like uh, a lot of alien sightings in Ashland? Isn't it? Isn't it a famous like alien sighting place? That's you Mount. Uh, that's Mount Shasta. Uh, Mount Shasta is where they have the Lemurians, the uh, mythical, or are they, uh, <laughs> little creatures that live inside the mountain. Ashland is uh, the way my dad used to describe it was that Ashland is the cultural mecca of the universe. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> okay then, take that, Berlin. Yeah, it, it's just uh, at least for uh, at Paris. least it's the cultural mecca of Oregon. Um, it's uh, Southern Oregon. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, of Jackson County. Um, it... Do you know about Percy Thrills Thrillington? I, I sort of. Paul McCartney remade his own album. Ram? <laughs> I guess I... <laughs> he did an instrumental strip club style. A loud yes. version? Yes, oh my under, God. A, under a pseudonym. Album. Under a pseudonym and they just released it. Just to oh. amuse himself. Because he, he can. Because he can. I wonder if there are people who only like Paul McCartney's classical music and they're just like, I never got into the Beatles, but... Stay I hope stone. so. That'd be great, right? That would be They'd great. be like, wait, he was in a rock band? What are you talking about?